0: Hi, my name's Mara. This episode of the Radioactive Show was produced on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people for 3CR Melbourne. On today's show, we hear from two of the speakers at the Nuclear No Climate Solution Forum, coordinated by the Friends of the Earth's Nuclear Free Collective, in conjunction with Blockade IMARC in October 2021. The event aimed to counter the nuclear propaganda campaign by explaining the real effects of the whole nuclear chain on our First Nations people, uranium mine workers and future generations. On today's show, we hear from Arabunna Elder Uncle Kevin Buzzacott and anti-nuclear and climate activist and former Senator Scott Ludlam.
1: Yes, yeah, it's good to be on this show. Uh, I have been... Uh, uh, off the world, I haven't been resting too good lately but uh anyhow yeah it's been a big journey it's been a hard journey and it's still very hard the developers were told when they first that was uh wmc first went to roxbury and the lake air base and started doing explorations and all that sort of stuff and uh me and a couple of the brothers and some of the young ones, we and a couple of other old people, we went out and chased the mob off because they were going into sacred grounds, sacred area, and it's been, that's how it's been ever since. And every time we try to stop them, we we're always met by the cops, police force, the government. And everybody's fully support this uh, uh, horrible works. And uh, it's still the same today. We we are up against this hard mob that we can't get through to. And uh, sometimes I call them bad people. They're bad people because they don't know what they're destroying. And it's only us that knows our sacred sites from that area, and there's been so many of it destroyed uh, with the roadworks and and the the explorations and all that sort of stuff. We've lost so many people from it. And as I said, that to get to where their program goes, their development goes, it's on sacred sites. Uh, it destroys sacred sites that's a lot of damage because the old places it's like the home of the dream time so to speak is we've got places everywhere I've been in and out of court with uh, trying to get through to the, the, the mob about uh, what they were doing to us and our land I think I've might be one of the lucky ones, maybe I'm not the lucky ones, they're still around to tell the story. There is a lot of our mob, young and old, have already passed on because the amount of pressure that's uh, being put on them. There's nothing worse than coming across a sacred site that's been destroyed. It, uh, it's sort of rupture. It all angles. I think uh, these people don't understand that it's all about the greed, it's all about the, uh, how much they're going to make out of it. Even the shareholders who's, in, who's invested in uh, BHP, they don't know. They're just the money Uh, investing in it, and they don't even know what they're they're destroying. Uh, They're destroying the land, they're destroying us, they're polluting the beautiful uh, environment. And uh, I keep saying that, uh, that the money can't save you, the pollutions can't save you, but what you're destroying can save you if you really want to be saved, if you want to live peacefully. So we've lived like this. The old people lived like this for 40,000 years plus. And we never had any money, never had one cent. We never had to dig the land up. We couldn't dig the land up because we loved the land. And also we knew what would happen if you did dig up the land, you knew uh, the the outcome of it. So that's why we never even touched it. We couldn't even make a brick. We couldn't even make a brick to build an elf or a house or double story. We just lived under the old camps, the old ways. And uh Mind you, because we knew how to do it. You've got to have it up there to be able to live and on that old country. The lake air itself, with all its waterways and rivers and mountain springs, there a lot of that's gone. They don't flow like they used to. They used to flow like big fountains. High as the house. And They had no machinery to do that, pumps and that to pump it up. It just just comes out of the ground by itself. And that's the way it's designed. And not only just the people, but uh, the the wildlife. They got pounded just as much as we did. And uh, the hard part, and it's still the same these days, the hard part is getting that message through to those people. I guess the background, the guts of it is uh, the curriculum that these people in their school, this is what they learn at their school. They've been in a different school education curriculum than I've been. People like me, we, we know the land, we love the land and that's it. We've had uh, old people... Uh, grandmothers, grandfathers, old mob educate us from when we were born, more or less. So we knew not to not to do those horrible things. And then, of course, what then comes along? Native title. It's uh, another government arm of the government, I guess. It uh, gets people, and they dangle the carrot which is the money, and our, some of our people have been they're poor in that sense as far as the rich today world goes. So they sign the deal, sign the name on it, and uh, they do the deal. They get a couple of carrots for it. And then I'm going to argue, then they've divided us. I've got to argue, not only me, but we've got to argue with our own mob, our own family, not to do any deals with the government. And uh, it's pretty full on. And what's happening now as we talk, we've got to sit by and watch our sides. Sacred sites, deadly, deadly sacred sites, get destroyed before our eyes and we can't do a thing about it. Otherwise, they'll lock us up and we'll we'll die in jail or whatever it is. And uh, they, at the moment, have got all these, the cops, the army, the navy and all sorts of things. They have made money so important that... uh, to, to travel from A to B, whereas one time, like I said, we didn't have it. We parted with people. We could walk all over this country. The brothers and sisters next door down the road, and uh, they put up all these obstacles like uh, borders and whatnot. They've got their policy down on us, but we still follow what we know, and we know that we. That's our agenda. They've got 25 or 100 other agendas. Our agenda is only one, and that is to look after ourselves and look after the old country. Looking after the old country is first. You've got to put that country first before you, because we need that, not only that it got us here from 40,000 years plus, we need that for the next little ones, for our little ones. And we need our sacred sites and all our beautiful place out there so that we can educate the little ones about it. all the bush tuckers, bush medicine and all that sort of stuff that, that will fix you up. It's, proven, it's been proven over 40,000 years. It's hard to uh, explain to other people. and Sometimes a bit of frustration comes in. And uh, then there's a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of work out there to be done for all the people. So we ain't got the resource. We're not equipped to be able to deliver all the stuff we're talking about. We can open up doorways. We can open up gateways. We can open up everything if we have the chance. Some people don't want to do that. Some people say, let them go. Don't worry about them. What goes around comes around or whatever. Now, we got the recipe for this land. We know how this works. They can't do it. It's not their thing. The government can't do it. They're on a mission that's impossible. They're not going to be able to deliver it because they'll always be a stumbling blocks. We know the land. we got got to love the land. We need to sit down and have a big corporate plan of some kind so we can sit down and say, what do you want? War for peace. You're going to make peace with us? What are you going to do with your kids? Our kids are going to hate us. Parents, us nannas and poppers and whatever we are. Because we're going to leave them in a big mess. Toxic. They've got all, they'll have all the disease, they'll have everything. The airway, the skyway, the waterway, it's going to be just polluted the way these people are going. So we have to stop those people. Uh, I'm not talking about taking up arms and and doing it that way. Talking is the best way. Sit down and darning, sit down and listen. Uh, One thing, because I'm getting a bit, uh, what's the word? I'm not as fit as I used to be, and I haven't been back up to our country for a while, and I'm not equipped and resourced enough to get up there. I need runners, I need carers, I need camera people so I can go back up there and and have a look at what more damage being done so I could uh, make uh, stories about it so I can send it out to the world and uh, and hopefully get the message through to the developers and all those minded mob to, to stop doing what they're doing.
0: You're listening to The Radioactive Show. Broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We just heard Uncle Kevin Buzzacott speaking at the Nuclear No Climate Solution Forum, coordinated by the Friends of the Earth Nuclear Free Collective in conjunction with Blockade IMARC. Next up, we'll hear what Scott Ludlam had to say at the forum.
2: I, I was told years ago never be put on a speaking list after Uncle Kev because I'm um, a bit blown away. It's so beautiful to hear you speak. You, you give me hope. And inspiration for so many people for such a long time that you've been in this. I'm one of these kind of fortunate white greenies. I got to choose anti-nuclear work. And Uncle didn't get to choose it because these bastards came to him and onto his country. So I think we have to I'm I'm glad that that you've kind of grounded this conversation for us because some of this gets a bit academic. We talk about kilowatt hours and parts per million and You know, millisieverts and how how much radiation and how much space is this stuff taking up? It's not academic at all for the people on the front line who've been fighting this industry for decades and the industries that came before it for 231 years. Um, So thanks, Uncle, for your words. I'm speaking from uh, Ewan country on the south coast of New South Wales on land that was never ceded. We're in so much trouble. We have to get out of coal and gas now at a speed that is actually a bit hard to comprehend. You look at the climate emergency and you think we better just build all of the options um, as fast as we can. If you understand what is happening to the climate and the trouble that the oil and gas companies have put us into, you, you generally would look around and, and want to make sure that we haven't left any viable options on the table. Obviously, I I think nuclear not only doesn't have anything to offer us at this point it's a really dangerous distraction and so i want to thank foe and the crew who have been working on this for years and years for bringing this conversation together and just talk quickly about why i think that's the case um there's one there's one really simple argument right if there was any that nuclear energy could displace a single ton of coal or gas in the next 10 or 20 years in this, do we really think that if nukes were a threat to fossil fuels, that Matt Canavan would be in favour of it? Because right after those submarines got announced, the first people that hopped, into, that hopped onto Twitter and hopped into the editorial pages of The Australian saying, oh, if we're going to have nuclear submarines, we should have nuclear power as well, the first people pushing for nukes were Matt Canavan and the Minerals Council. The two biggest promoters of coal that we basically have in this country suddenly think that nukes are a good idea for this climate threat that they don't actually believe in. They know that it's safe to jump on the nuclear bandwagon because they know that nuclear poses no threat of displacing coal or gas in the near future. They know that it's safe to jump on that bandwagon. A, because it's no threat to coal. And I'll go into some details as to why in a second. But B, because it's a fantastic thing to wedge the greenies. You know, it's a, it's in politics, they call it a dead cat, something that stinks so badly that it distracts everybody from whatever it was that we were talking about. And then we're talking suddenly about this new thing that stinks. What we were talking about was state capture by enormous offshore mining corporations who have held climate policy hostage in this country since the 1990s, and now we're being asked to believe that these same huge offshore mining corporations have the solution in nuclear power. It's the same people just wanting to sell us uranium as want to sell us coal and gas. So if your antennae are a bit twitching, then it is safe to trust your instincts that maybe Canavan is as wrong about nuclear power as he is about literally everything else. So what this push is designed for is to exploit the desperate situation that fossil companies have put us in, which means that we do have to address some of the arguments. The three major kind of arguments that we hear for why we should maybe take another chance on nuclear. First one is it's proven you could build nukes quick uh, and it could it could displace huge amounts of coal and gas very fast and so that's why we should go for it. Um, the second one is, all right, actually it can't do that. Like it's really obvious that it can't do that, but we have all these new generations of reactors that are just about to leap off the drawing board. They're small, they're modular, they're very fast to build. And uh, so actually the old generation of nukes, we can't trust, but these new ones that are just around the corner, we should build those. And the third line of argument that they sometimes put is that all these issues about radiation is a bit overblown uh, that, you know, Greenie crew have overstated it. Chernobyl was harmless. Fukushima didn't kill anybody. Three Mile Island, you know, didn't, didn't hurt anybody either and that the radiation threat has been overblown. So what I want to do is just go through each of those really quickly. The nuclear industry, as it exists actually in the world, not the imaginary one but the real one, is in enormous trouble. It peaked in 2002 in terms of number of reactors operating in the world. It's been in decline quite literally, since the late 1970s. But the enormous lag time that it takes to build nuclear power, power stations has this kind of built-in inertia such that we've got this fleet of reactors of the average age of which is 31 years old. So they're old plants that have been around for an awfully long time and nowhere in the world is building nuclear energy of the, of the kind of old kind of power stations at anything like the replacement rate that they're being closed or that they're going to need to close in the very near future. And it's partly, partly the reason is cost, that it's the most expensive technology for boiling water to spin a turbine that anybody has ever come up with before, right? It's catastrophically expensive. And it gets more expensive with every generation. So what's happening with solar and with wind and with batteries is that with every generation of that gear, the cost is coming down. Nuclear has been going in the other direction. Since the 1960s. Every generation they build are more expensive than the generation before. And that's why that's one of the reasons why they're in enormous trouble. Nobody will insure nuclear power stations at any scale, large or small, because they can turn from an asset into an uncapped liability in about 90 minutes. It can turn from your five or $10 billion nuclear power station into a radioactive hole in the ground with limitless liabilities. In half an hour and that's why the insurance industry hasn't touched nuclear power in decades they do take on average of the plants that are being built in the early 21st century not the imaginary ones but the real ones they take on average 10 years to build so even if we started the licensing and environmental impact assessment process here in australia the absolute earliest you get a plant online is the mid 2030s and a lot of these things take much longer than that to build. Uh, my favourite reference on these questions about, like, how is the industry actually performing in the world, not what, what uh, advocates say, but, like, how is it actually going? This is great. This is called the World Nuclear Status Report. These have been going for years and years. It's written uh, by people who know the technology. They're not really advocates in either direction. They're technologists, and all they do is every year they say, who's building them, who's closing them down, how are they going? Uh, And that really gives us a snapshot uh, of how the industry is performing. And it's in enormous trouble, which is why they tend to change the subject away from generation one, two or three reactors and talk about these new generation of reactors just around the corner. Sometimes you will hear these referred to as generation four. Generation four, these new or small modular reactors are a real hodgepodge. Some of these are designs that have been around since the 1950s that are kind of evolved nuclear submarine designs. Some of them are proposed to burn thorium. Some of them are proposed to burn nuclear waste uh, coming from older generations of reactors and convert that into less lethal kinds of material. And the, the main thing to know about this gear is that it doesn't exist, right? They can't get out of prototype stage. The reason that nuclear... Has had the limited success that it has is because of economies of scale, that they come in blocks of a thousand megawatts, like the size of a really large coal fired power station. As soon as you try and scale that down to this kind of small modular, you know, shipping container size or, you know, a small factory sized small modular reactor, the costs balloon through the roof. Here is one that would be funny if it wasn't so serious. Bill Gates has been trying to get one of these plutonium burning reactors off the ground. Uh, For a long time, he's in enormous trouble. The other one that you'll hear about a fair bit is thorium, which also doesn't exist. And so what's happening is the nuclear industry and some of its advocates have pivoted from promoting the technology that actually exists in the world, which is in huge trouble and on the way out, to promoting these reactors that don't exist and saying they're safe, they're also cheap, they're also small, they're also fast. And you can say all these things if your reactor technology doesn't exist, right? It hasn't got out of prototype stage. The ones that the small modular reactors that have been built in the world have obviously been delivered late and are in enormous trouble. The third thing that they'll come back at us and say, uh, and sometimes you'll see it expressed is in in bananas, like bananas have potassium in them and bananas are also radioactive, uh, and that nuclear is harmless, or it emits—you know—a working nuclear power station emits less uranium fallout than a coal-fired power station. Um, a well operating for a well operating reactor, that's actually potentially true in some instances, which is not an argument uh, for uh, for nuclear so much as an argument against living downwind of a coal-fired power station. The way that they manage to kind of fabricate these statistics about how harmless radiation from nuclear power stations is by erasing all of the other stages of the nuclear fuel chain, erasing the, the catastrophic damage that's done on Uncle Kevin's country from mining and the radioactive tailings that are left behind, erasing the reprocessing wastes or the spent fuel storage or the shipping, uh, the shipping impacts of moving this stuff around the landscape. So I've kind of got a, a fairly low tolerance, but I'm going to throw, as I've been doing, if you don't believe me, and that's entirely fair enough, um, believe the doctors who do this stuff for a living. Foe has published some fantastic stuff, but it's also aggregated a lot of really useful and valuable research on the, on the health impacts of chronic levels of uh, low-dose radiation, which the industry says is safe and which doctors say absolutely is not safe. So this dead cat needs to be disposed of safely so that we are not squabbling amongst ourselves about whether this dangerous failed technology has anything to offer apart from distraction we need to be all on the same side that clean energy is the way forward but there's a caveat to that is that i don't think renewable mega projects should get a free pass either if you get out there with your sun cable project or with your your kind of clean energy mega project on occupied land and the tradi- the traditional owners say you can't put that here or ecologists and our greenie folks say that's a terrible place for a wind farm, the greenie technology doesn't get a free pass either, right? Like we actually have to be very aware that every uh, project has its impacts uh, and not kind of turn a blind eye to this sort of stuff just because it might be convenient to us.
0: Thanks so much to the Friends of the Earth Nuclear Free Collective and the Blockade IMARC team for the great Nuclear No Climate Solution Forum held online in October 2021. The forum highlighted the risks, economic viability and realistic timelines for the so-called solutions that the nuclear industry proposes. Nuclear power is not the green solution to climate change it's presented to be. For more information, check out www.don'tnuttheclimate.org.au and www.melbournefo.org.au nuclear. Thanks for listening to The Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at 3cr.org.au slash radioactive. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us at radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation with the support of the Friends of the Earth Nuclear Free Collective for 3CR Melbourne. It is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear, peace and energy issues.